We had just started attending this youth group, and um, they, they, we heard about this uh, weekend camp that they were going to be doing. And uh, this is a big, big, big church with a big youth ministry, and most of the kids there were just sort of outreach kids that they were trying to reach from the community. But there was a, a core of kids that were serious, committed Christian kids who wanted to grow in Christ. They were being discipled, and they were growing. This was a retreat for them. And so uh, I had no business going on this retreat because I was not even a follower of Christ at that time. But did I, did I mention the cute girls? <laughs> and we had our eyes on some girls that were going to the retreat, and so we signed up for the retreat, and the three of us went to this retreat. And, uh, and while we were there, there was absolutely no presentation of the gospel. This was a retreat for committed Christian kids. But what happened in my life that weekend is I saw people who are actually walking with Jesus and experiencing the peace of Christ, which I knew nothing about, was that I realized this is real. And I went for a walk and I found myself uh, going into this cabin and, and I got in this cabin alone and I got down on my knees and I submitted my life to Jesus Christ for the first time. Nobody was with me. Nobody was sharing the gospel with me. Nobody was holding my hands and telling me to pray the sinner's prayer. It was just me and the Holy Spirit and God doing this thing. And, and it was, uh, was kind of weird, actually, because I didn't know what to do with it. All I know is that I got down on my knees and gave my life to Jesus. And when I got up, I felt like a completely different person. The interesting thing about that was that as the weekend went on, um, the end of the weekend as we we're heading back, I finally got the courage to share this with my brother and our friend, thinking they would laugh at me. And they both shared with me that the same thing happened to them that weekend. The three of us all came to Christ on the same day, separate from one another, without anyone sharing the gospel with us. It was the most incredible thing to see God do this thing, because here's what happened. I was born again, just as you're born into a family, I was born again into an instant small group. We, we were already inseparable. We already spent all of our time together. So all we needed was somebody who was more mature than us in Christ who could lead us and guide us. And there was this college guy who came alongside of us and he began pouring into us and we began to grow. The three of us grew together. All three of us surrendered our life to ministry. All three of us have been serving the Lord for all of these years. God has just done amazing, amazing things through that. And you know what the truth of the matter is? As I look back on that this week and I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that if it was not for what God did in, in, in giving me those guys to grow with, I doubt I would be here today. I don't know if I would be walking with Jesus today if it wasn't for those guys. And we've been thinking about the kinds of uh, lies that Satan uses to trip us up as Christians and one of the most effective of his lies is this. He says, you know, you're on your own in this thing. You're on your own. That simple lie has led to countless bouts of depression. It has led to broken families. 
It has led to suicides. It has led to multiple kinds of illnesses and death because people have bought into this lie that you are in this thing alone. And we're gonna talk about that today. I did some study on this and, and according to one study I read, and, and at first it shocked me, but the more I thought about it, the more I think it's probably right on. It said that 90% of American men lack even one deep friendship. 90% of American men do not have one other person that they can go to no matter what, that they can count on, that they share deep things with, that they are deeply, deeply invested in, in terms of a friendship. Now, now you know, all of us are in the same boat. We're, we're just sort of this far on the other side of a, of a worldwide pandemic, and we all know what that did with isolation and people being separated from one another and all of that kind of stuff, and now they've gotten some time to do some study on this. The isolation during the COVID pandemic spiked loneliness, depression, drug addiction, and suicide to levels we've never seen before. Some have argued, and convincingly, that the effects of the isolation of the pandemic were even more brutal than the effects of the disease itself. A study was done in Alameda County some years ago. It showed that isolation is one of the best predictors of early death. This was fascinating to me. In fact, a, a person without any close relationships is three times more likely to die young than a person who's well-connected. And, and living in, in relational isolation is worse for your health than bad eating, drinking alcohol, smoking, or lack of exercise. So when I read that, I was like, that means it is healthier to sit on the couch with friends eating pizza, smoking cigars, and drinking beer <laughs> than it is to eat broccoli by yourself. Write this down. What? <laughs> What'd you learn in church today? Ah, no more broccoli for me. Right? It, and still, despite all of this, we cling to this sense of the value of personal independence. We think it's so great to be independent. We like to do things our own way. We don't want people telling us what to do. We don't want anybody getting in the way of our plans. We certainly don't want to have to depend upon anybody else. We want to be independent. But here's the thing. It's a lie. You are not independent, no matter how much you try to be. But you don't have to know the whole Bible to see this. Here's the thing, Satan keeps telling us this lie, why? Why does he keep telling us this lie? I'll tell you why. He knows the Bible better than we do. And, and, and we are ignorant of certain truths that are taught in scripture and we're not applying them to our lives and that leaves us open to just being lied to. And so you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know your Bible front to back to know better than to think that you can do life independently. You know, page one of your Bible 
It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then it goes on to describe a six-day creation process. It tells us that on day one, he created light, and at the end of the day, he said, it was good. It says that on day two, he created the atmosphere, the heavens, and he looked at the end of the day and said it was good. On day three, he created dry land and plants, and he looked at the end of the day and said it was good. On day four, sun, moon, and stars, and it was good. On day five, water animals and birds that fly, and he looked and said it's good. On day six, land animals And he said, it's good. And finally, as the crowning glory of all of his creation, man made in his own image. And he looked upon all that he had done and he said, it is very good. That's page one of your Bible. I want you to turn to page two. Genesis chapter one, or Genesis chapter two, I should say. Genesis chapter two and verse 18. And you're gonna see a historically significant moment. This is the first time, Genesis 2.18, this is the first time in the history of the world that anything was deemed to be not good. Here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. This is good, 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 and this whole thing is very good. Oh, wait, this is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And appropriately, we look at that verse and we think, well, this is about marriage because he brings Eve in and the first marriage happens. And that's absolutely true. But it's not just about marriage. It's about this fact. We were not created, not designed to try to get through life on our own. Independence is a myth. And we keep telling ourselves we want to be independent. So Satan lies to us us from experiencing the abundant life that we were created to experience. And there's really probably more, but I want to focus on two versions of this lie that he tells consistently. On the one hand, he tries to convince us that we are better off on our own, exercising independence. Um, This goes way back. This is not a new problem in the Christian church. In fact, if you study church history, you go all the way back to to the third or fourth century AD, and you will find that prominent church leaders whose writings we still have today, these men became convinced that the best way for them to possibly fight against all the temptation in the world was to separate themselves from everybody. They found that when they're around people, they get angry. When they're around people, they get lustful. When they're around people, they get greedy. And they thought, you know what? It's these dang people that are making this happen. And so they, they, they became ascetics and they separated themselves. And they went and lived in the deserts of Egypt. They're called the Desert Fathers. You can read about them in, in history today. And their thought was, we can live better by ourselves to glorify God than we can live together with others. And so they lived in caves and they, and they, they lived out in the wilderness all by themselves. But here's the thing. It became a movement and it caught on. And others started moving out. And others started joining them. And then they had desert communities. It didn't work. 
The other thing was those who did stay by themselves realized they were just as lustful, just as greedy, just as angry, just as sinful with no other people around as they were when there were people around. So, so most of those who stayed separate as hermits ended up losing their minds. God simply did not create us to be alone. The Bible makes it clear that we're not created to live independently. We're created to live in community, interdependently. Even if you wish it was different, if you, you're, you're, you know, you're the most introverted person in the world and your favorite moment is the moment when the last person leaves the room, if that's you and you think, man, if I could just be by myself, that's not what you want actually because if you are by yourself for too long, you cannot live life effectively. I want us to see how much we need each other. Turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of Mark. Now, the Gospel of Mark is the second book of your New Testament. It's right after Matthew and before Luke. I want you to go to Mark chapter 2. And I want us to see how this works out in real life. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is just beginning his ministry here. He's actually healed some people and people are starting to talk about him. And so he comes back to Capernaum and we pick that up in chapter two, verse one. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. He was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men, and being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this led to a huge mess because Jesus had the audacity to say that he could forgive this man's sins. That the religious leaders around freaked out. How can you say that you can forgive his sins? And Jesus gives them a whole lesson explaining that he actually does have the authority to forgive sins. And he says, which is better, that I would forgive his sins or that I would heal him? And so he does both. And he says to the man, get up and walk. And the guy stands up for the first time, picks up the stretcher that he was carried in on and walks out while people have their mouths hanging open watching this happen. It's a great story. I love it. But here's what I want us to see. This guy did not have a lot going for him. And and most of you realize this. It's difficult to be significantly disabled in society today. Imagine what it was like then. He, He was unable to provide for himself He was unable to participate in the religious life of the community. He was unable to have a social life. He was unable to earn a living. He was undoubtedly poor. He was undoubtedly discouraged. And he was undoubtedly hopeless. That's the condition that he was in. The interesting thing here is that he didn't even hear about Jesus. His friends heard about Jesus. See, he didn't have anything going for him, but he had one thing that was worth its weight in gold, at least four good friends. And these guys showed up at his house when they heard about Jesus, and they came and they got him, and they carried him 
to Jesus. And when they got there and they found out they had no chance of getting anywhere near Jesus, they went around the back, climbed up on the roof and cut a hole in the roof of the house and lowered him down. Now, I don't even want to know what the insurance company said about all of that. I don't know how that works. But I'll tell you this, they lowered him down and dropped him in Jesus' lap. Don't you want some friends that will bring you to Jesus like that? How good is that? So, so the interesting thing is that Jesus responds to the faith by healing them, but I want you, by healing him, but look at verse five. Look at verse five. Let me read it to you again. And Jesus, seeing the man's faith, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Is that what your Bible says? No. What's your Bible said? Jesus seeing their faith. This guy had no faith as far as we know. We don't even, this guy's completely passive in this whole situation. We don't even know if he was awake. He was carried to Jesus. As far as we can tell, it wasn't his idea. He didn't hear about Jesus, text his friends, and say, come and get me. They came to him because they heard about Jesus. They picked him up. They carried the weight of his difficulty. They brought him all the way to Jesus and they refused to be denied. They made sure that their friend encountered Jesus. And Jesus doesn't even seem to notice the guy. He looks up through the roof and he goes, you guys have a lot of faith and responds to their faith by healing this man. It's an amazing, amazing picture. We don't know if this guy had any faith at all. And you know, there, there's this teaching that goes around about, well, if you just have enough faith and you get God to do whatever you want him to do, there's not a word in here about this guy having any faith. It was, it was a response to the, the act of believing. These guys believed that Jesus was who he said he was. They believed he could do what he said he could do, and they loved their friend enough to bring him to experience that blessing. And, and that guy, as far as we know, was passive in the whole thing. We don't know his name. He never says a word. He just shows up in Jesus' lap. He gets healed. He lays there during the argument. And then Jesus says, pick up your pallet and go. He picks up his pallet and walks home. And that's the last we ever hear of him in the scripture. But what a group of friends he had. Sometimes we all need community. We're created for community. We're designed to operate in the context of community, and this is an old, tired way of illustrating this that I've used before, but it just makes sense to me. Have you noticed, you, you probably haven't noticed, but have you noticed gas prices? You know, it, it costs you a week's pay just to buy enough gas to drive to work, right? And, and, and so you, you're looking at this and you're crunching the numbers on your budget and you're going, I just cannot afford to keep putting a hundred bucks in my gas tank every week. And so you come up with this brilliant idea. You're standing in your yard, looking at your car, pondering this, and you notice the garden hose there. And you say, hey, 
water is cheap. I'm just going to fill the tank with water. So you take the hose and you crank it up. You stick that hose in the gas tank. You fill it up. You start the car. You get halfway out of the driveway and your engine ceases forever. Why? Because the car was designed to run on gasoline, not water. We were designed to run in community, not isolation. It doesn't work the way we try to make it work. Sometimes we are needed to carry the stretcher for somebody. Sometimes we're in the stretcher and we need someone to carry us to Jesus for his touch, encouragement from our friends. Tell us to hang in there when our prayers seem to be going unanswered. Them praying for us. In the, in the background somewhere while we're going through challenges. Accountability. Them saying, hey, how's it going with this? I know you've been working on this. Or even having enough love and courage to put an arm around me and say, hey, there's something I've noticed in your life that I don't think Jesus is happy about and I want to talk to you about it. I'd like to help you with it. We need those kinds of relationships. Here's the problem. Because we're so busy doing our thing, we don't build those relationships until we need them. And once we need them, it's too late to build them. We have to be careful with this. The Bible gives us a huge list of things that we are to depend upon one another for in the church. Things like, <clears throat> it says, love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, admonish one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, be patient with one another, speak the truth to one another, submit to one another, teach one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, pray for one another. We're commanded to do all of that stuff for each other in scripture. It's because we were designed by a designer and he designed us to thrive in fellowship. And if we lack that fellowship, we will not thrive. You simply cannot live the Christian life alone. We need each other. God has surrounded you with brothers and sisters and he has called us all to do life together. Now, I feel like I wanna just take a little moment here and kind of give a, a warning. We now have the blessing of being able to, uh, to watch the, the worship service online when we're not able to be here for one reason or another, whatever reason. You, you live far away or you're, you're sick today or, or you, you're just something you have to be at later, whatever the case. And so now we have the technology, praise God. We, we have the, uh, the, the skilled people who know how to make this happen and you can stay at home on Sundays and you can watch the service. Many of you are doing that exact thing right now and I praise God for it, but it comes with a warning. Watching a worship service is not the same as communing with the body of Christ. And so on those times when you cannot gather with the church, praise God you have a way to still participate. But 
don't let it become your, your fail-safe. Don't let it become the natural way that you do it. We need one another. This is why I'm always talking about the fact that, you know, it's, it, churches, we're, we're all the same. Um, we, there's certain things we count. There, there's certain things we count every Sunday. We count how much money comes in the offering that week. Every church does. We have to. We have a responsibility to our budget and our board and all that kind of stuff. We have to know how much money comes in. We have to know how much money goes out or what it gets spent on. We count that carefully. You know what else we count? I will be able to tell you by the end of the service today exactly how many people are in the room this morning, how many people are in Kids Connection, how many people are in the nursery, how many people might be sitting outside watching, and how many people are at home watching during the service. I will know the answer to that question. I can show you a chart that goes back several years that shows exactly those numbers. We count those things. But that's not what counts. I couldn't care less if we have 10,000 people in the room on a Sunday morning if we don't do life together. Sitting in rows behind one another is not fellowship. It's a small piece of fellowship. And, And so this is why we emphasize grace groups so much. If you told me, listen, there were only nine people who showed up on Sunday morning, but there was 300 in grace group meetings this week, I would rejoice. That's what it is to do life together. We have to do that. So I am thrilled that we have the technology now that we don't have to miss the service on a Sunday just because we are unable to physically be there. But I pray that none of us will lean upon that as our primary way of thinking that we're actually participating in the body of Christ. Even if you're watching from home every week, get in a grace group. You can even do that online. But, but somehow... We've got to connect with other people. Satan would like for you to believe you can do it on your own, but you can't. It's a lie. The other version of this lie is not just you can do it on your own, but that you are on your own. He tells us you're alone. There's nobody who cares. There's nobody who's interested. There's nobody who knows what you're going through. You're in this on your own. Uh, Sometimes... We can begin to feel isolated. Sometimes we can begin to become depressed. Think that there's nobody there for us. Nobody understands. Nobody cares. Those are legitimate feelings. But sometimes our feelings lie to us. God said, it is not good for us to be alone. So why would he ever leave us alone? Even in the most challenging times... We are not alone. I'm gonna show you two pictures of this. I want you to go to the Old Testament book of Joshua. Now, Joshua is the sixth book of your Old Testament. So you get the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. I want you to go to Joshua chapter one in your Old Testament. Joshua chapter one. And we're gonna start in verse one as, the, as we lead in. Here's, let me get you caught up on all these thousands of years of history, right? That the Jews were in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. They have been led out. They've been wandering in that wilderness under Moses' leadership for 40 years now. And Moses just died. They spend a month having a funeral for Moses. And then the book of Joshua begins. They're still not in the promised land. Joshua chapter one. 
Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all that the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For, it, uh, for then it will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua has now been handled the mantle of Moses. He is expected to step into this amazing role of leadership. He has to lead millions of people across the Jordan into battle and take each and every one of these fortified cities. This is the largest most impossible task that he's ever faced in his life. And I dare say it's a larger, more difficult task than any of us have probably ever faced in our lives. And God meets with him and says, listen, I noticed something when I was looking at you the other day. I noticed that your lip is quivering all the time. I noticed that you look terrified. I noticed that you look dismayed. And so let me tell you something. I am giving this land to these people, not you. I'm not dependent upon you for this. I have made the promise. I am the one who will wipe out these cities. I am the one who will give the land to these people. I already promised it, and when I make a promise, I always deliver. So stop making it about you, Joshua. You see, I'm paraphrasing. And then he goes on and he says this, be strong and courageous for I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. This is not about our ability to go anywhere on our own. This is about the fact that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, he goes with us wherever we go. Wherever we go. And guys, I've gone some places that I really wanted to leave Jesus in the car. I didn't even want him to know where I was going. And he went with me anyways. Wherever you go, he goes with you. Because the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. Every follower of Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit never leaves us. He is our connection to God at all times. And so we walk with God wherever we go. There's a huge challenge for Joshua and these men. They're gonna go in and, and they're gonna somehow take that fortified city with all those armed soldiers. Joshua's already been in the promised land and he saw the giants. 
And he saw the fortified cities. He knows what's going on. He knows what they're going to face. And God says, aren't you glad you don't have to do it? Because I will be with you. Let me show you another picture of this. Turn to Psalms. If you just open your Bible right to the middle, you'll probably land in Psalms. Psalm 23. I feel like I'm mentioning something from Psalm 23 like every other week. Such a great psalm. This is the famous shepherd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? There's this amazing picture. He, he, he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. He, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. That is to say, he provides every single thing we need. How great is it to walk with a God who will lay you down in green pastures and lead you beside quiet waters? What a God we serve. What a blessing to walk with him. So there we are as sheep and we're following the shepherd and we are eating all we need because of the green pastures. We're resting all we need because of the green pastures. We're drinking all we need because of the quiet waters. Everything we need is provided. Our life could not be better and suddenly we look up and we are in the valley of the shadow of death. How did that happen? I was following the good shepherd. The good shepherd led me to the valley of the shadow of death. Did I somehow lose track of him? Did I make a left turn when he made a right turn? Did I lose the good shepherd? No, he's right here with me. In the valley of the shadow of death, look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the valley of the shadow of death. Guys, there is no one in this room who has not walked through the valley of the shadow of death multiple times. Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one and the grief that comes with that. Sometimes it's the loss of a dream and the grief that comes with that. Sometimes it's a physical illness and the challenges that come with that. Sometimes it's a relational challenge, a financial challenge, a career issue, and we struggle, and everywhere we look, it just seems shadowy and dark. It's scary if you're in a place like that alone. But he is not afraid because he is not alone. See, we make the mistake of looking at our circumstances and reading into who God is. We judge God in light of our circumstances. Isn't it about time that we start remembering who God is and judge our circumstances in light of who God is? Now, it's scary to be in the valley of the shadow of death. It brings tears to be in the valley of the shadow of death. Nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. He is with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. This is why I, I always seem to say, every time I'm leading a funeral service, I want to remind people that there's no right way to grieve, but there is a wrong way to grieve. If you grieve apart from God, it will get worse and not better. We have to press into him, but he will not leave us. In fact, we're thinking of Joshua's, 
experience and the challenge before him. We're thinking of David's experience in the valley of the shadow of death. How about this? Jesus says to his disciples right before he's about to ascend into heaven, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And that's the command that he gives them. Here's what I want you 11 guys to do, he says. I want you to disciple everyone in the world. Ready, go. There's not, there, there's no, there's no mass communication. There's no speedy travel. There's no way to learn other languages. There's only 11 of us. What are you talking about? How are we possibly going to make disciples of all nations? He answers them. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. There, God doesn't send us on assignments. He takes us with him to do things through us. And we get the privilege of being there for it. Here's the truth. You are not alone. God is always with you. Now, I, I'm not making light in any way mocking the feelings of loneliness or the isolation that we sometimes feel. Those feelings are real. But just remember this, God gave you your feelings to be servants, not masters. We don't always have to listen to our feelings. We have to process those things and trust God. God is always with you. God has given you a church family. We are in this together and sometimes <laughs> that gets messy, right? Some of us, we've been in the church a long time and we've seen some stuff, right? Um, you know why? Because the church is made up of safe sinners just like you and me. And, and, and sometimes we step on each other's toes. Sometimes we hurt one another. Sometimes we disappoint each other. Sometimes we make each other uncomfortable. But our loving God will also use us for tremendous good in one another's lives if we'll trust him to do it. And when you think about it, as imperfect as we are, what's the alternative? It is not good for man to be alone. So don't believe the lies. You are not alone. God is with you wherever you go and you should not choose to isolate yourself for any length of time because we need one another. God has created us to thrive in community and that is the perfect opportunity for me to remind you to sign up for a grace group. I cannot stress enough what a great tool that is to help you make connections. Grace groups are starting back up. Men's Bible study is starting back up. There's things going for young adults that are starting up. There's things going in youth ministry that are starting up. There's women's Bible study starting back up. Guys, do not settle for trying to do this on your own. You can't do it. You will benefit so greatly by holding the hand of the good shepherd, locking arms with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and walking in the community that he called us to walk in. Because here's what Jesus said about this. He said, I will build my church, that's us. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan is a liar. 
The truth sets us free. And that's the truth. Let's stand and pray together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is just to even have the opportunity because of your grace to to become a part of your family, to know you, to be set free from sin, to be uh, removed from guilt, to experience your mercy. We could never, ever, ever have accomplished it on our own, but you have done it for us. So I thank you. Thank you so much for that. I thank you for these people, for the people that you have placed in my life, the, the people you have placed in each of our lives fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who can help carry our stretcher when we need it and whose stretcher we can gladly carry when they need it. Help us, Father, to embrace walking closely with you and closely with one another that we might flourish as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.